If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 1, please. Good morning, screenwriters. <laughs> Today we're going to conclude a series of lessons aimed at inviting us to write the story of our lives with Jesus Christ as Lord of our screens. You thought you were just a housewife. You thought you were just a sixth grader or an accountant or an administrator or a retiree or a roofer or a banker or a construction worker or a company owner. Yeah, you're all those things. But every single last one of us is a screenwriter. Every day, whether we're aware of it or not, we're writing our life story. And for many of us, it's being lived out in connection with some kind of screen, especially if social media screens are a part of your life, Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat. Your choices, Jesus wants us to know. Your decisions, your likes, your dislikes, your words, your actions, whether they're typed or whether they're recorded in video, all of them make up your story. All of them. And that story can be used for such amazing influence for good. And that story can also be used for such destruction. Regrettably, we saw it again this week when Nathaniel Burhau will forever have destruction overshadowing his story because he decided to take a deadly weapon into Santa Clarita, California High School and start shooting. And then he shot himself. That is a horrible story. That is a senseless story. And we pray to God that it isn't a story that any one of our teens writes. Amen? You don't need to write that story. It's an awful story. It doesn't have to be that way. You see, every Sunday on behalf of the one who is writing the greatest story ever told, Jehovah God, on behalf of the one who spoke this universe into being and brought you into being, that God, on behalf of him, I have the privilege of making a case as to why Jesus Christ needs to be every single one of our co-authors in the story that we're writing with our lives. He needs to be the co-screenwriter to the screenplay you're living out right now. Nathaniel Burhau's story, I'm guessing, didn't have Jesus as his co-writer. You say, well, does he have the credentials, really? <laughs> really? This is a guy who was born of a virgin. This is a guy who lived a sinless life and climbed on a cross and died for your sins. This is a guy whose father, God, raised three days later and was seen by over 500 witnesses alive. And those folks couldn't stop talking about it enough. You're in these seats today. That guy then ascended into the heaven to the right hand of the Father and is awaiting the cue from him to come back and wrap up this story that humanity's writing right now. And you know what? It's almost over. It's coming to an end. And the reason is there's a better story God wants to write. A better story with a new heaven and a new earth and, and even a new you. It's going to be transformed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye when he descends again to wrap up closing remarks in this world. I know you think I say things like this just because I'm supposed to, but I am so privileged, so privileged that most weeks I get to encourage you to make that guy Savior and Lord of your life, to welcome him to lead your decisions and your plans and your choices to experience the absolute best life possible here on the earth. And you know what stands as a major threat to that? Next slide. Some screens. Some screens. In a way that maybe nothing has been such a threat to a relationship with the Father and us having a relationship with the church and having solid relationships with our families like maybe anything before. These are three things that I am absolutely convinced God assisted mankind in inventing to bless us. But like all of God's creation, Satan loves to use his best things to do the worst things. The things that bring life, he wants to bring destruction to and with. And so for the last two Sundays, we've been taking, I know this, a sobering look 
at the place those screens have in our lives. We've been doing a little time inventory the last couple of weeks because many of us, if we're honest, can say, at least to ourselves, our devotion to this is higher than our devotion to him. We may not say that to anybody else, but if we were honest, we would say, yeah, based on time spent, based on energy, based on what I hope for, what I look to, yeah, probably this above the one who helped create that. And if anybody notices, God does. Because he can see while we continue to bow before these all the time, he can see that we choose these things to bow before rather than these things. And you know, that sounds like a kid's illustration, but it's, it's true. How much more bowing before one of these did you do this week than bowing on your knees or with these this week? Those are sobering questions. And I know they're challenging questions because you know what? I'm asking them of me first. And I'm the one that has to live with this all week before I come to deliver this to you and know that it's been done on knees. It's been done with so much prayer. It's been done with so much trepidation. <laughs> Trust me about what to say and what not to say. But if any of that's true for you, God would like to have a word with you this morning. We've been looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, where this incredible once God-hater, and this now become a, a, a God-lover, not a God-hater, but a Jesus-hater, has become now a Jesus-lover and a Jesus-teacher. He, he's writing these incredible words to those of us who have a television and who have a personal computer and who have a smartphone, when they didn't have exist, he's writing truths and words that, that matter today. When 2,000 years ago, they weren't even a glimmer in anybody's mind. And I don't know how God does it, but I know that supernaturally, he breathes truths through these men, put them in a book for us to be able to read from, and somehow or another, they come alive if we give them time to live in us. And I want to thank you this morning for doing that. I want to thank you for welcoming me to try to, to look into this word and say, does this have anything to say about how we handle these screens in our lives? How he actually is Lord over that part of my life? And he says, yes, I do. And he starts with, remember, in view of God's mercy, that's where you start. In view of his mercy and grace and love that he's poured out, I, I say any of what I'm about to say. But he said, in view of all of him laying down his life for you, I'm going to ask you to lay your life down for him. He encourages the Christians in Rome, don't be pressed into the lifestyle of this culture around you, but instead you be transformed into God's lifestyle that he's molding and shaping in you if you'll let him. And those decisions and choices that you're going to have to make every day, you let him be Lord over that. You put yourself on the altar because he put himself on a huge public altar. And he warns, smoke screens are going to come. Smoke screens are going to come. And they're going to promise you a life that they can't live up to. And they're going to be prevalent, I'm going to say this, Paul couldn't, on these devices. Wow. Just turn them on and all of a sudden everybody in the world is throwing these promises of these things you need to own to get you some more life. Or you need to, to, to tab over to to get you some more life. And if you've got a credit card, you can go ahead and buy it now. And if you've got Amazon Prime, have it in two days. Life, buddy, can be yours in two days. Man, you've seen this stuff. I've seen this stuff. I can't, I can't get on one of those without someone trying to, to sell me one more piece of stuff that my life desperately, desperately needs. Paul says, don't for a minute believe that they offer any more life than the living God. They can't. It's a lie. So Paul would say you need to filter those offers with a life screen. And here it is. Is it holy and is it pleasing to God? I told you last week it's a little restrictive for me. God's not budging on it. He says if, if you really are mine... 
If you, if you mean that when you say that, that you were bought with a price, a priceless gift of love, if you really believe that, then, then here's the screen that I want you to apply to all of your screens. Is it holy and is it pleasing to God? Crazy those words are written when no human being had an idea of the lowly trinity, of the TV and the personal computer and the smartphone. But Paul's giving us timeless truths here that I know, that I know, that I know because of how they impact me when I obey him and allow that to be the screen. Life comes that I wasn't living in. I want to wrap up this series by inviting you to go to Romans 1. It's an earlier section of this incredible letter that Paul writes to this incredible church in Rome. But before we dive into that, I want to say this because I'm afraid it might get lost again. I have failed you if all this series has been is some negative diatribe against the lowly trinity. Never meant for it to be that. I have all three. All of them. Big screen. I've got the smartphone. I've got the personal computer. I own them all. And I get life from them all. Can I give you a couple of quick examples? Just this week, I got another text from Paul Mosley. Miss Paul? Man, I miss that guy. You're supposed to say, yeah, man. Paul would. He misses you. Trust me. I get to hear about it all the time. But I get a text from him about every other week at the, at the least, sometimes every week. And most of those, he's, he's writing to ask me, what can he pray for me for? This little thing makes that possible. What can he pray for me for? Well, I got this picture a couple of weeks ago. That's his soon-to-be bride, Michelle. And I, I, I just am so thrilled to see that his life is moving on from the tragedy of having to go through a divorce that he did not want. And he said, Jimmy, she's an incredible Christian girl. Do you know all of that stuff was conveyed to me, not by one conversation, but through a text. I love my text screen. I love being able to have short little conversations with people when I don't have time to have the long conversations and I can still stay in touch. We probably text 40 times a year. Speak on the phone maybe two to three times a year. I get to see him at men's retreat every year. But we're, we're still in a huge relationship together, loving on each other, both ways. And it's amazing. And I'm thankful that I have that screen in my life. But it's not going to own me. It's not. I'm thankful that I've got this big screen TV in my house and on it with Gail this last week. Actually, two weeks ago, we had a chance to watch the first half of the movie that I talked about in a sermon with you. Medical missionary Kent Brantley was given his life back. In 2014, the world looked on as he contracted Ebola while he was caring for those in Liberia who had been impacted and infected by the most deadly virus I have ever known in my lifetime. Until Kent recovered from the experimental drug that had been given him, there was no known cure. Isn't that wild? It's not only a great story, it's a great movie, I promise you. If you can get your hands on it, watch it. We've got a copy in the library. Please check it out and take it home. You will not be sad you did. And you know what? Watching it on the big screen in our home, it inspired me. It challenged me. I was so proud that Jesus was getting all the glory for Ken's amazing recovery. And the television screen made that possible. I love them. This week, my son-in-law, Travis, came to take advantage of the whitetail rut and hopefully to put some venison in this freezer. And he was successful in part because of some screens. Technology has made it possible to take photos of deer passing in strategic areas of the forest or woods, wherever you're going. And those pics we were able to view on my personal laptop and set up a strategy. And one of them no longer exists in this lifetime. He went to deer heaven. And I've got pictures, but I'm going to spare you by putting them up on the wall, okay? If you want to see them, find me afterwards. Because they're on this little device. But another device enabled us to see those pictures to make a memory for us that I'll always treasure. I'm glad I have my personal computer. And I'm glad you have them too. I just don't want them to own. And I don't want them owning my faith. So we saw last week, if you're not seeking God's guidance and direction and using them, 
If you're not, if we don't have an action plan for how they were going to impact our lives and when they won't, some time away from them as well as a time with them, then they can quickly move from an addition that's helpful to an addiction that's hurtful. Next screen. It's all in how you see it. And I'll ask it again. What is that for you? Have you been honest this week since I asked it of you last week? Are the screens in your life more of an addition that's helpful or an addiction that's hurtful? I really believe without intentional review of its usage, we can trade our time with God who has the whole world in his hands for this little device we can hold in ours. So, Jimmy, how do we prevent that? I'm going to give you three short principles, and then we'll be done with this series of lessons. But I hope not done with the stuff in them. First of all, be honest. Man, I wrestled with this. I was going to put be responsible, be proactive. But I thought, no, this probably says it all, and let's just be honest. If we'll start there, oh, my goodness, these things don't have a chance at being an addiction. If we'll just be honest, when it comes to the screens, do you know who recognizes their danger more than anyone? No? Yeah, he probably does. But right after God is the inventors of these things. Do you know who recognizes the dangers of them? The inventors of these things. I read an article by Elena Akatar. She says this, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs raised their kids practically tech-free. And it should have been a red flag to us. She said, in 2007, Bill Gates, the former CEO of Microsoft, implemented a cap on screen time when his daughters started developing an unhealthy attachment to a video game. He also didn't let his kids have cell phones until they turned 14. Steve Jobs, who was the CEO of Apple until his death, the originator of the iPhone, revealed in a 2011 New York Times review that he prohibits kids from using the newly released iPad. His kids. Why? Steve said, because we limit how much technology our kids use at home. Other techies, she goes on to say, like Snapchat CEO Evan Spiegel and Google's Sundar Pakai, intentionally limit their kids' screen time. She writes, Spiegel and his wife Miranda impose an hour and a half of screen time, I couldn't believe this, per week for their kids. And our kids thought we were the strictest parents in the universe. No way! No way! But you know what? If that bothers you, what you just read, oh, wow. The amount of screen time I have for my kids, the amount of screen time that I, that can change. That can change because you can limit that too. See, the research is just coming in. We haven't had these things that long for there to be any responsible amount of data to accumulate so that we could make a, an informed decision. It's here. It's here. And I'm glad to be moving on from this series because I'm tired of swimming in some of this stuff, trying to decide what to bring to you and what not to bring to you because I'm afraid none of you or very, very few of you are going to go in search of the data because you don't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear it. Things like we know now that huge percentages of adults and children have their sleep impacted by the use of screens just two hours before bedtime. We now know that depression is a 27% more likely in teens connected to screen time of more than an hour a day. We now know that the impact of social media on our kids is proving more life-devastating than life-enhancing social networking, social media. Almost all research points to the reality that only in limited doses can screens be helpful and not harmful to our kids and their parents. You don't grow out of this. More and more researchers are pointing to parents and saying... <laughs> Of all things, listen to this, letting our kids figure out their own boredom is important. Sending them outside to play is important. Enjoying a color book, Play-Doh, Legos, rather than a Google tablet is huge in their development. A lady by the name of Danae Barhan 
She's a writer for Simply Family, says this. I don't keep it a secret that I hold strong feelings about excessive screen use in early childhood especially. This information is not meant to shame, but instead to bring awareness that scaling back on the amount of time your children get each day is so important. Here's the heart of the issue, she says. Free time has become fear time among parents. And I'm talking about the real free time, not the Amazon version. Over the past generation, she writes, parents have developed the same sense of responsibility that we have developed the sense of responsibility that somehow or another we're on the hook for entertaining our children all the time. Just as we are now responsible for filling their free time. Y'all, that's a lot of pressure, she writes. We're parents, not entertainers. When we try to be entertainers, she says, we're robbing our children of valuable opportunities to learn and create and explore and plan and problem solve, all because of play. There's research that shows screen time is harmful for young children, but screen time itself is not the only issue. I love this. The issue is what these children are missing out on while watching screens. With this dramatic change in free time, our children aren't playing. Childhood disorders are on the rise. Childhood play is on the decline. Because research is showing that we are seeing more childhood obesity and attention deficit disorder, hyperactivity disorder, anxiety, stress, and sensory integration challenges. Play is decreasing and childhood disorders are increasing. Do you think there's a connection? So she lists seven things that your children are missing out on when they're watching a screen. Brain development, physical activity, learning the right things, sensory input, socializations, connection, confidence. Would you keep your kids from any of that? Gail and I grew up in a time when we didn't have the, the little screens, but we had the big screens. And our kids thought we were just Nazis. I'm telling you. They got to watch a half hour of television a day at the most, but they could watch two hours of cartoons on Saturday. We got to pick the cartoons. I'm told, we, were, we were Nazis. They got to eat regular cereal without sugar in it all during the week, and on Saturday they could have sweet cereal. I told you we were Nazis. But you know what I remember? I remember waking up one morning because my daughters were going, it's Saturday! We get sweet cereal! What do you want to watch for cartoons, Lauren? Oh, to be able to rewind the tape for life when that brought that much excitement in a human being's life. Too much of a good thing, still, finish it, is a bad thing. Too much of a good thing will always be a bad thing. And so that's why I share any of this with you this morning. And I don't want to talk about any more research because I, I really don't know much about research. I can just share some of it with you. But I can share something that's a little bit more closer to home that I think I have a little bit of experience in, not expertise, but some experience, and that's this, the place an idol has in this world still. I think for some of us, we think the day of idols is long gone. No way. God says too much about it in his word for it not to impact even generations in the future. If the definition of an idol is this, any created thing that becomes the ultimate thing in your life will have idols forever. Because there's always going to be the temptation of the evil one to make any of God's created thing the ultimate thing in our life. And I believe with all my heart, I have watched this become the ultimate thing for our culture. And someone's got to say something about it if they care about their family at all. So I'm trying. And I, I mean, with all the humility I can, I, I may not be on point with a lot of this stuff, but we got to hear some of this. Because this, this cannot take the place of Almighty God. My wife has looked all week long for a, a, a little cardboard sign that was held up in the end zone one time, but I think it's been removed from the Internet. And it just said, I am it was, a, it was a commercial for one of the new iPhones that was coming out. And that was what they led with, is a cardboard box that said this, I am. And it was eerie when we saw it. 
haven't been able to find it. Trust me, those who sell these devices and the big screens and the portable screens want them to be your everything. So you'll buy more. For heaven's sakes, folks, we got a phone we carry around with us. It's worth $1,000. I was in Ghana, and I saw people with cell phones who didn't have indoor plumbing and who, who couldn't eat on their own, but they had cell phones. There's something powerful that Satan can do with this. God can do amazing things with it, but there's some things that Satan's doing that's just destroying our culture and our families. Is it an idol? Kyle Eidelman says anything that is a cheap substitute for God can qualify as an idol. Careers, our kids' sports, our kids' sports, money, our tablets, anything can become a cheap substitute for God. And Paul would agree with him. The once Christian hater turned Christian teacher warns that worshiping any idol can be life-threatening and a life-stealing choice. Beware, he says. Where? In of all places, Romans chapter 1. Go ahead and put that up, please. Paul writes there, people knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. Next screen. They pretended to know it all. But they were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. Go back to the first screen. Can I walk you through that and see if this sounds eerily familiar? Lots and lots of people who knew about God, they had knowledge of God, but that wasn't their problem. It wasn't a knowledge problem. It was an acknowledgement problem. You see that anywhere around in our culture? Oh, they know about God. But they're not about to acknowledge him as God, and they're certainly not going to worship him as God. Well, what does that lead to? It leads to trivializing themselves into silliness and confusion so that there's nothing, neither sense nor direction left in their lives. Looking around at, at, at lots of young people who have no purpose, it seems, to their lives, aren't figuring out at all what they want to do till they're 32, 33, 34 years old. But their lives are filled with all this trivia. They can quote stats and figures and little Jeopardy answers and questions. But it's also trivial and it's also meaningless. Next slide. They pretend that they know it all. They think they know it all. But they're illiterate regarding life. Does that make a connection with anything around you? Regrettably so. It's in my life. I see it around me everywhere. I can see it in pockets in my life. Paul says beware. That's what it means to be someone who worships an idol rather than God. I'm afraid too many of us have thought that uh, idolatry is a practice of the ancients. It's not. It's a practice of the presence. How do I know that I have an idol in my life, Jim? That's a great question. Now, I doubt if anybody in here would fess up to that. But you'd say, no, God's, God's first in my life. But so let me just, let's talk about who's second, okay? How would I figure out what's second in my life? Here we go. Here's how you do it. I call it the M&M test. What does your mind, mouth, money, minutes, and month reflect in your life? Take time, not now, but later to say, okay, what do I spend my money on? What do I think about most? What do I talk about most? What do I spend time doing most? And what will I put on the calendar most? Most likely, that's number two in your life. Most likely. And number two always wants to be number one. And in many of our lives is in reality. Joshua, standing right before the promised land, right before uh, the Israel the nation of Israel enjoying this incredible life of wonder and, and joy and just unthinkable goodness says to them, next slide, fear God before we go in here. Fear God and worship him in total commitment. Get rid of the gods your ancestors worshipped. And if you decide that it's a bad thing to worship God, then you choose a God you'd rather serve and do it today. But Joshua said for me and my house, we're going to choose to serve him. That's our choice. We will worship Ancient history, right? 
ancient decisions, right, daily. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's daily that I have to make the decision to crawl up on that altar and say, because of all that you've done for me, in view of your mercy, I give you me. How do you want me to live today? What do you want to do with the stuff that you've blessed me with? Too often, whenever we hear sermons about idolatry, I think what we do is we amp up our Jesus life and we miss part of what Joshua said. Get rid of that which is idolatrous in your life. Oh, but I'm going to read more scripture and I'm going to pray more. God says, not enough. Here's some things you've got to get rid of. You've got to distance yourself from, at minimum, do them less. Because they're crowding me out. Which is the purpose behind the seven-day detox. I don't know if you took that. Gail and I did. Oh, man, it was painful. Just a little light awareness test to see where cell phones and screens are in your life and how they're operating. And it was painful because the Cowboys were on on Monday and I, hadn't, I couldn't look at a screen for two hours before bedtime. Of course, I was thrilled after I found out the Vikings beat them that I didn't watch those screens. But, man, it was a pleasure to just enjoy the quiet in our house that evening. Just enjoy sitting next to my wife, reading a, a novel that I hadn't made time for, that I was, I was making time for now. I didn't miss out on anything, anything. I witnessed firsthand in my life that screens cannot just be a resource. They can run it. That's what I learned in the seven-day detox. I hope you took it. If you haven't, I hope you will. Let me wrap up this real quick. Two more principles and we're done. Be honest. And the last one, second one is be present. Be present. I had <laughs> a great clip that I wanted to show of Simon Sinek, um, but it had a four-letter word in it, and I couldn't figure out how to bleep it out of there. And I figured, you know what? That wouldn't be holy and pleasing to God, so I did a little screening, okay? But if I can, for just a couple of seconds, can I try to reiterate what he was trying to convey? Of all places, it was a business leaders' convention. And he said, guys, if we're going to succeed at making more money in this world, he says, we're going to have to raise the bar and have a much higher regard for human beings. It sounded like the guy was preaching in a church, I'm telling you. He said, you know what we need to start? He said, with these. He said, you walk into a room and you're carrying one of these to have a conversation with one of your employees or maybe even one of your clients. All of a sudden, it's not just you and them that are having a conversation. It's us, isn't it? Subconsciously, we see one of these in somebody's hands, and, and they may be there, but they're not all there. Anything, any moment can take them away, can steal their attention away. We see it subconsciously, whether we say it, but I'll tell you what, if you come up and ask me, Jimmy, can I visit with you? And I had this, and I said, well, sure, let's go talk. And I walked in there, we sat down with this in my hand. That would be one way that I could answer that response. Another way would say, sure, let's talk. Anything different? All of a sudden, I just said, you're more important than my phone. And anybody else who wants to get to me through that thing. Does that happen also at a meal maybe? Have you ever gone to a meal with somebody? And you sit down with them and you're enjoying that meal and they put that thing out like this? It's not just you two who are having lunch together, right? Or enjoying a meal together at your house. It's why we did the Be Present box. Because whenever that cell phone is sitting there, all of a sudden now, it's not just us that matters. It's us and everybody in the world, right? And you know what? It's not more polite just because you turn it over. Can we just say that? Put it away. Folks, as we become more high-tech in this country, you've heard me say this before, we're going to have to become more high-touch. And we can do that so easily. I'm not talking about having to reach out and grab someone. You're touching them by just letting them know you matter more than anybody or anything else on that phone. Just put it away. Put it in your pocket. Put it in your purse. Put it on the shelf. But get it out of sight. I hope you have some kind of a be present box at your house. And I really do want to make you feel uncomfortable that you pull your phones out. 
And at mealtime, with somebody else that you're having lunch with or, or someone in your house that you're eating with because there's something sacred. If you know anything about the Scripture at all, mealtimes are sacred. God never put it in the commandment somewhere, but over and over and over again, if you wanted to, to get close to someone, you had them over for a meal. And we're, we're destroying that with those little devices called smartphones. That's just not smart. That's stupid. Life is competing. It's, it's hard enough. So put them away. And in a meeting, for heaven's sakes, put this away. If you want to keep your job, put them away. Turn them off. Really, when you're going to go into a meeting and you're going to do this, or maybe you try to do the polite thing and turn them upside down, and all of a sudden it's going on left and right, excuse me, i got to go do this. You, you, we know this isn't important anymore. That is whatever that is. We're, I don't know, except for maybe Philippians. Go ahead and turn, turn back to the Scripture. I don't know if I have it there. Philippians chapter 2, 3. Yeah. I thought maybe this isn't in the Bible, but I think this is it, as close as it comes. I'm going to say it just this way, though, and then we're going to read it through Scripture. Please hear this lovingly. You're not that important. You're not. These things are creating people who think they're more important than they are. And Jesus reminds us in Philippians 2, 3, don't be selfish. That's selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on other people that you're this important person. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. And he goes right into that by saying, now, can I tell you about this one who thought... God perks and God privileges needed to be set aside because he wanted to come here and let you know that you matter. So much that he would give his life for you. You matter that much. He had to set some things aside so that you would ever hear that. And I heard him, and I think you did too. It matters when you make other people feel more important than you. In church, if we're going to connect with the world, we can. This, this, this bothers me that the culture out there is doing that. But you know what? You don't have to. You can be that person that keeps this in the purse and in your pocket when you're with people. You can. I know you would believe this. I know you would say amen to this, so I'm just going to, but I'm prepping you for it. People matter more than phones. Amen? Okay, we believe that. Practice it. Put it away. And then the last thing is this. Be blessed. Be a blessing. Send an encouraging text, not another selfie. Forward a great verse that touched your heart. Watch an inspiring movie, not another horror movie. Email one of our missionaries. Forward a great series from Andy Stanley. However you use them, use the screens that God's blessed us with to bless. And a warning that comes later in Romans 12 is, and never curse, never tear down, never belittle, never make someone feel small. And my, how these screens have been used to do that. Every size. Big screen, laptop screens, and little personal handheld screens. Here's what the scripture says. Repay no evil for evil. But give thought to do whatever's honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, don't send him a nasty text. If he's thirsty, don't put something out on Facebook that's going to make them feel small. Give them something to drink. For by doing so, you're going to heap burning coals on their head. Do not become overcome by evil but overcome evil with good especially when you're on a screen now that's not in there but i added it especially when you're on a screen the reason is because satan loves 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 for us to throw out seeds that he can water and help grow that are negative and hurtful and cynical and bitter and you've received them haven't you i have it's been some time ago but I don't think I'll ever forget. I've forgiven, but I don't think I'll ever forget. Because I, I saw that it was from a friend of mine. I opened it up, and it was a text. 
And I was anticipating some things that we shared in common together because, I mean, that's what we did. I mean, we've, we've shared those things before. But what it was was a criticism about something I said in a sermon just that morning. It was a criticism I think I needed to hear, but not over a cell phone. And what was so full of hope all of a sudden became full of hurt. Our friendship is, has, has survived that and has gone on and is better. But you know what? It was rocky for a while because of a simple text that I could go back and read and reread and reread just like you've done. Be careful what you write and send to someone via email or text or Snapchat because you know what? They will, with Satan's help, reread it and relive it and re-die and reignite all the ugly he wants to pour in your, their lives into your life. That same week, interestingly enough, I went to open another screen. It was from Mark Taylor, Ty's dad. Love him. One of our members has a sister in Colorado, he says, who's taken one of your series, Jimmy, and is using it in her Bible class. It's a small town, small church. She wanted you to know that it was a blessing to her, and she wanted me to pass along that it has been to her class. And he mentioned the town and where it was and said, just know this, that you're having a greater impact on the world than you know. Both texts in the same week. I haven't forgotten either one of them. We can choose to be a blessing with this incredible technology. Now, I have sent texts and I have sent emails without waiting to reread them later, come back the next day, see if I still want to say that with the emotion not so high that have hurt people in this church and our relationships have never been the same. So I want you to know, not only has that happened to me, it's happened because of me. I want him to be Lord of my screens for my sake, but more for his. And so I just want to say as we wrap this up, I know somebody who will help you write the best story possible for your life. His name is Jesus, and he will gladly, if you'll let him, be Lord of your screens. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning, and you know this message has been so heavy on me because it's so personal to every one of us. On some level, most of us struggle with our screens and what they've been doing to us rather than what we've been using them for, for you. And so I'm asking this morning that uh, you please, through the power of your spirit, come be Lord over our screens, please. And where we failed you, thank you that you offer grace and mercy to those who fail with their screens. Thank you that, that on the cross you were providing for that blood to cover our sins with these devices even now thousands of years ago before we needed forgiveness. Thank you. And I pray this morning that if someone here knows that they have misused their screens this week and something that they've sent maybe is just rocking their hearts right now, that they know that with you there's grace and mercy if they'll just confess that and turn it over to you and say, I'm sorry. And that your spirit will, if they're your follower, come and help them, empower them to be better with their screens. Father, if you brought someone here today who would like to have that type of guide and that type of leader in their life who would help them, not just with their screens, but with every facet of their life because they want the best life possible, please have them come find me so that we can start right now down the, down the path of becoming your disciple seeing them baptized into Christ, seeing them walk out of here a brand new creation. We just need your help, Lord. This is a toughie, and uh, we're asking for all of the grace and mercy and strength you'll provide with it. In Jesus' precious name.